Well, welcome to 2021. So glad you're with us. If you're online with us, we hope you have found us. Um, I know there are several different um, links and streams out there. Um, hopefully, you found the right one now. It looked like most people were on, and so welcome to you online. Glad you are here for um, 2021. So today we are beginning a new series, and the name of it is New. Uh, this past year, uh, my wife and I had this brilliant idea in the middle of being quarantined that this would be an amazing time to remodel our house. We're stuck at home. We have extra time to be at home, so why not actually do some work on the house? And, and it's not just like a, a minor remodel. We've moved a wall, um, gutted a few rooms, um, replaced sheetrock in some rooms, scraped all the popcorn ceilings, um, replaced all the flooring, um, lived without a kitchen for a month and a half. Um, just, just super easy. And, and I found there is kind of three stages to this process. Um, the first stage, when you first start it and you're tearing down walls and hitting things with sledgehammers that they do on HGTV that looks so much fun, um, you're like, yeah, we're really doing this. This is awesome. And then about a month or two into the process, there's a, we're really doing this. We're now at the stage where it's like, we're really doing this. And we're at a point where most of the stuff we have is kind of slow and tedious work. It's trim and touching up paint and, and doing those things that need to be done to finish out the, the house so we can be done. But we're at that point, too, where we're kind of tired with it. And every time I come home, I always tell Cammie, it's just like, this. there is so much left to do. And she'll say, no, we're getting so close. And I'm just like, no, we're not. We have so much. And I, I've realized... Part of my problem is that the whole time we've been living in the mess, right? Every day I, I come to work and I go home, I go home to unfinished work, and it needs to be done. And, and if I were to step outside of this and say, we're going to go live in a hotel for a month and we're just going to come work and then we're going to leave and go, I, I think I would see things so much differently than I do right now. But we're living in it. And it's a struggle to see that we're making progress towards anything at times. Because you're doing such small little tasks that it's not really noticeable. Like when you put new floor in, like, oh, well, that, that made a huge difference. But when you touch up the paint around trim on baseboards, did I even do anything for the last hour? And it's a struggle to see because we're living in it. And I wonder, are there times that you struggle to see what God is doing in the world because you're living in the mess? 
we step back and we say, God, what are you up to in this world? What are you doing? Is the world going anywhere? Are you at work in the world? And I think probably a a huge part of the problem is we're living in the mess. And when you live in the mess, it's a struggle to see that it's going somewhere. And, And we start to wonder, well, God, what are you up to? What are you doing? Where are you taking us? Where are you leading us? And we struggle to see. Have you ever struggled to see? Have you ever wondered, God, what are you up to in this world? What are you doing right now? Because if ever we needed God to step in to history and just change things, it's now. I mean, a a world that's been completely flipped upside down by a pandemic. God, where are you? And so over the next year, we're going to embark on what I'm going to call a sermon trilogy. Because I'm kind of tired of sermon series. So we're going to do a series of sermons. And they're all going to be out of the book of Mark. And so there's going to be three different series that we'll do. This first part is Mark 1 through the middle of 8, and the series is called New. Then we're going to do 8 through about 11 or 12, and then we're going to finish the book out. And we'll have some little breaks in between because I kind of get bored with doing the same thing for too long. And so in 2021, we're going to do these three series from the book of Mark. And each series is going to have a question that kind of drives the series. And so the first series, this series new, the driving question is this, who is Jesus? Because as Mark begins his gospel, he makes it very, very clear that he wants you to answer and be able to answer that question for yourself. So I'm going to give you the other two questions from the series but we're not going to spend much time with it. The second question is, do you or who do you see? As he tells you, here's who Jesus is, he's going to ask the question kind of in the middle of the book, who do you see? And then the last is, what does it look like to follow Jesus? And so that's going to be kind of the series, um, the three series in a nutshell. But this question that we're going to deal with in this series new, who is Jesus is probably the most important question you will ever be confronted with. Who is Jesus? And it's a question that you, if if Mark is right in what he says, if Mark's gospel is full of truth, then you have to be confronted with and you must answer the question. Because you can answer it any way you choose. You can say, I believe Jesus is who Mark says he is. And you can say, I don't believe any of this. But the point is, you must answer that question. And you must answer it for yourself. No one can answer the question for you. And so Mark is going to pose this question to primarily this Roman Gentile Christian audience that he's writing to. 
And it's a question, like I said, that you will be confronted with in this series. And you must answer. One way or another, it's your choice how you answer it. But you must answer the question that you're confronted with. So we're going to begin in Mark chapter 1, verse 1. And this is how it begins. The beginning of the good news. Mark begins by telling you, I'm going to start this story about a man named Jesus by letting you know that this is the beginning of some really good news. And this is good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And so he's making these claims about here's who Jesus is. And then going down to verse 15, he says, The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Now, this word for good news is a Greek word, and the word is euangelion, and it means gospel, good news, good tidings. It's this idea of an announcement. It's someone walking into the center of the room and saying, excuse me, I have some great news to tell you. I have some wonderful news that you need to know. I have an announcement to make. It's have you ever overslept for something? Have you ever set your alarm and instead of hitting a.m., you hit p.m.? And you woke up an hour late and you get out of bed kind of in home alone mode. I know it's Christmas. We probably all watched Home Alone. Um, you get out of bed in that home alone panicked mode. C- could you imagine you've overslept and someone comes in, your spouse wakes you, realizes it, and you can't wake up, and so they grab a, cup of, a bucket of cold water, and they throw it on you in bed, and say, wake up! And there's this shock that you must pay attention to, that you must get up, and that you must get going. And that's how John is going to act. That's what Mark is telling you. He says, I have this announcement to make, and it is incredible, incredible news, and you must listen to it. And his announcement is simple. God is doing something new in the world, and he's going to do it through this person, his son, Jesus. There is good news And everyone, when you announce good news, has expectation of what that good news is going to entail and what it means. Correct? If I tell you good news, we're going to go out to eat for lunch today, and I'm buying, everyone has expectations of what that could mean. Gary's feeling generous today. We're going to Saltgrass. Or better yet, we're going to Texas Day Brazil. And Gary might be thinking, hey, we're going to McDonald's and you're eating off the dollar menu. But we all have expectations of what that will look like. And so when Mark comes with this announcement, I have good news. Everyone in the story has expectations of how that's going to look. Right? Mark has expectations of what he's meaning by that. Here's good news. Jesus has expectations of what this announcement means, that he is bringing good news into the world. 
John the Baptist has expectations. And just so you know, his expectations aren't going to be met because Jesus or Mark is going to tell you in just a minute that John goes to prison. And ultimately, John's going to pay with his life for the gospel. But there's expectations of what this good news means, what it brings. And the same is true about you. The same is true about me. We have expectations of what this good news means. I think many times we've fallen into this trap that, that we see it's so prevalent in our culture that, that we think that good news, the good news of the gospel means that when we go through the waters of baptism, we come out on the other side, life gets easy. And that if you have pain and you have heartache and you have lost, then, then something must not be right in your life. We, we see that narrative played out over and over in our culture. And that belief, well, is that true? Is that your expectation? But behind all of this, go back to, to verse 15 for me. Behind all of this, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Behind all of this is this question that's going to drive all three of these series. And the question is this, what does it mean? What does it mean to believe the good news? So Mark steps on the stage and says, I have an announcement to make. I have some great news the question becomes, what does it mean to believe the good news? And it's, it's kind of always bothered me the way that we talk about the gospel and good news. We ask this question, well, have you obeyed the gospel? But if you think of it in terms of good news, that sounds kind of weird to say. I have some good news. Have you obeyed it? It doesn't quite sound right. I have some great news of an amazing gift. See, the question is, have you accepted it? Not, not necessarily have you obeyed it, but have you accepted it? First and foremost, the gospel is an invitation to accept, not a command to be obeyed. In fact, I would even say our obedience starts on the other side of the water. Because the water is where we enter into the relationship with Jesus. And we'll get to that a little bit more. And I, I think you'll understand why I think it's so important that we have that mindset, mindset shift in a, in a moment. But this question, this driving question, who is Jesus? John begins his gospel by answering. Go back to verse 1. He says, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, he is the Messiah, the Son of God. And then going back down to verse 15, he lets you know that the kingdom of God has come near through this person, Jesus. And so Jesus is Messiah. He's the Son of God, but he's also the bringer of this new kingdom. Because what Mark wants you to see that Jesus is this new king, and he's bringing this new kingdom into being in this new world order. 
that the way things have always worked is no longer how things work. Death no longer will have mastery over creation. Now Jesus, the new king, will have mastery over all. And John is the first character that shows up on the stage, and he's got this announcement that he is just here to prepare the way. He's the one who's been sent to prepare the way for Jesus, to to lead people, to make that announcement, hey, God has come into this world to do something new, to do something amazing, to change the world, to bring newness and redemption and life and freedom and hope. Will you listen to his announcement? Will you hear his words? See, because John says the time has come. The time has come. This new king, this new Messiah is here. And this is what the prophets have been telling you about. And in fact, they told you about me being the one who's going to come and prepare the way for Jesus. And after that, as John's baptizing people for forgiveness of their sins, he says that there is one coming, and he's not going to baptize you with water, but with the Spirit of God. And then Jesus enters the picture. So I want you to listen to verse, beginning in verse um, 9. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, the Spirit descending on him like a dove, and a voice from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love, and with you I am well pleased." John says there's going to be a baptism that's different from mine. But yet Jesus comes to John in the water. And there's a couple of things going on. One, he's connecting it to the bigger story that the Bible has been telling the whole time. And he's portraying Jesus as this new Moses who goes into the water and comes out of the water and then is led into the desert, led into the wilderness. And what we find is here's why his baptism will be different because his baptism, the baptism in Jesus, will still be for the forgiveness of sins, but it will be fully and finally realized. It will be once and for all that God is dealing with sin and the oppression of death fully and finally. And that through this baptism, this new baptism that Jesus will bring, the Spirit of God will come into your life and empower His people to be the divine image bearers they were created to be and be the witnesses of God's love, forgiveness, and mercy in this world. But you also have to understand the way that people are hearing this. Because there is a Roman audience who has decided that we are going to be 
part of a church, that we're going to be Christians, we're going to follow the God of Israel. And yet all they see is oppression through the Roman Empire. And like I said in the very beginning, it's really difficult to see what God is doing in the world when you're living in the middle of the mess. It's really difficult to see God is doing a new thing when things seem to be changing little by little by little. It's easy to get tunnel vision and begin to think that your world is the world. And so Jesus is, one, following the path of Moses through the water, but he's also committing his life to God in the water. And and as he comes out of the water, there is this voice spoken over him that says, you are my son whom I love. And I love the description. It says, heaven was ripped open and the Spirit of God descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son whom I love, and with you I am well pleased. Now you need to understand this. The moment you enter the water and come out of the water, I believe God says the exact same thing about you. Because the scene that unfolds here in the life of Jesus is the same scene that unfolds when you commit your life to Christ through baptism. The Spirit of God descends on you and empowers you. And God looks at you and says, You are my child. I love you. I am pleased with you. See, the water is where we first fully encounter the love and forgiveness of God the Father. But it is also the place that we begin to bear witnesses, bear witness to the world of the love and forgiveness of the Father. That we begin to take on that image of the Father and be a testimony living in this world that gives hope to this world that something is happening, that God is redeeming and reconciling the world. See, our obedience begins on the other side of the water. The water is the place where we accept the invitation of God and commit our life to fully following Him. Because understand this for Jesus, this is so, so, so important. The moment Jesus enters the water, the moment Jesus enters the water, he is committing his life fully and completely to the way of the Father and ultimately the road to the cross. 
When, when Jesus enters the water, he is saying, God, I am yours. I am following you wherever you will lead me, regardless of where that road takes me. No matter what is at stake, I am fully committed in my life to you. And we hear this good news, this announcement, there is a new king, there is a new way, there is a different way that the world is going to work. Death no longer has mastery over this world. The question is, if you believe Jesus is the Messiah, will you accept it and walk through the water committing your life to Christ, being resurrected, being forgiven, being set free and filled with his spirit to be God's witness in the world? That is the question. Mark forces you to answer. Because like I said, you can answer it anyway. You can say, I, I don't really believe what Mark says, and so I'm, I'm going to walk away from this. But if you believe what Mark says, then you, in your baptism, have committed to the same thing that Jesus has, that I will fully and completely commit my life to the Father, and ultimately the way of the cross. Because if you remember that invitation, wasn't come and live the good life and everything will be fine. The invitation was actually, if you want to follow me, come and take up your cross and follow me. The road is going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. Everything is not going to be as easy as you think it is. And you're not going to always know what God is doing or where He is leading you, but you are committed to following Him because you believe His way and His world are better than this world that is passing away. And if you truly understood what was happening throughout the course of the Bible, from the Old Testament to the beginning, we see this pattern continually showing up of faith and repentance and baptism and filled with the Spirit, becoming the community of God, living life on mission. It is 100% about discipleship. And we've made so many times the focus, the idea of salvation. But Jesus focuses and Mark's focus is not just that you would be saved, but it's that you would commit your life to Jesus and live in this world in a way that reflects Jesus to this world and that the world would find redemption as you are the hands and feet of Christ Jesus in this world. Now, there's something amazing to me about this statement. As Jesus comes out of the water and God speaks these words over him, you are my son, I love you, and I am pleased with you. See, in the Gospel of Mark, everyone, everyone is going to be forced to answer Mark's question, who is Jesus? Jesus himself is going to answer that question. Mark is going to answer that question. Pharisees, teachers of the law, they're going to answer that question. People who are hurting and broken are going to answer that question. Disease, darkness, death, 
demons, they are all going to submit to Jesus and be forced to answer that question. But of all the people, all the things giving testimony to who Jesus is, maybe the most powerful voice in the room is the voice of God the Father speaking over His Son. You are my Son, whom I love, and with you I am well pleased. I remember my wedding day. We got married at Highland Oaks, a church I grew up in. And I remember standing on the stage waiting. And if, if you're married, you've been through this. Where you're waiting for those doors to open. And those doors open. And there is your beautiful bride. And it is this amazing moment where you think, I, I cannot believe this day has finally come. And we're going to be joined together. And she starts walking down the aisle. And there is this anxiousness. And there is this amazing feeling as you wait for your bride to come stand up here with you. And I believe that's the exact same thing God feels about you when you say, I'm going to fully, finally commit my life to Jesus. And I'm going to follow him through the waters of baptism into this new world. And I'm going to live for him, with him, in commitment and union with him. When those doors are ripped open and the bride is standing there, God says, you are my child. I love you. I'm pleased with you. But here's the start of the, the part of the story that bothers me. Because, and especially if you've grown up in church, you've probably heard sermons like this before. You know, here's, here's the good news that Jesus offers you life. Come and accept it. But there's the, the next verse, right after God says this about Jesus, his son, is, is to me one of the most troubling verses in Mark. It says this, at once, the Spirit, okay? Understand this. God's Spirit, at once the Spirit led him, sent him out into the wilderness. I thought once we committed our life to Jesus, things were going to get easier. And the road was going to be smoother. But do you remember when we accepted that invitation? It was an invitation to take up your cross and come and follow me. It wasn't an invitation to the easy life. It wasn't an invitation to come and sit and be comfortable. It was an invitation to come and die to yourself to find life in Christ and have faith that God is going to redeem and save regardless of what happens in this world, regardless of what it looks like, regardless of how many times we ask God, what are you up to? What are you doing? Where are you? Why are you not showing up the way that I thought you should? 
But at once, the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness for a purpose, and it was to be tempted by Satan. He sent him out. And he did not leave him alone. It says he sends angels to attend him and be with him to give him strength. But what we also know is that he is with God the Father there in the wilderness. Because he is his Father. And he dearly loves him. And I believe that Jesus entering into the waters of baptism, coming out the other side, walking into the wilderness, shows an incredible amount of vulnerability on Jesus' part. And vulnerability is not something we're super comfortable with. We we don't want to put ourselves out there. We don't want to trust in someone else besides ourselves, outside of ourselves. We want to use our strength, our power to save us. And Jesus is committing his life to the way of the Father. He's going to say, it's outside of my control, God. Whatever you want with me, I am all in. You are my child. I love you. I am pleased with you. And we are committed to following Jesus no matter where it leads. But the good news is He fills you with His Spirit to empower you to be a witness of God in this world. That you're not going to go and have to do it on your own. He is going to walk this road with you. But the problem is, the problem is you're stuck in the middle of the mess and you struggle to see it. You struggle to see what God is doing in this world. You struggle to see because sometimes it's changing just so microscopically almost that we don't notice it. Because Jesus says things like, when you give a cup of cold water to someone in my name, you've done it for me. When you take care of the sick and the hurting and the broken, when you announce there is good news for the world, the kingdom of God comes a little bit closer to this world. And it answers Jesus' prayer that hopefully has become our prayer that the kingdoms of this world would become the kingdoms of our God and of His Messiah and that He would reign forever and ever. Father, Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, the kingdom of God comes through you. It comes every day through your life and through mine as we bear witness to the unconditional love and forgiveness of God the Father. Our life is a reflection of it. And in 2021, let me tell you, this world needs that reflection more than ever before. Because they're searching and they're wondering and they're hungry and they're searching for something that has meaning because it seems like every day is just like the day before. 
It's just stuck on repeat, and we need hope to be brought into our life. And you have the power to do that. God has sent his spirit into your life. It's the church that we would go into this world and bring that hope and that love of Christ into this world. And listen, you can do it in such small, beautiful, meaningful ways every single day. You're quarantined right now. We're not getting out as much as usual. Go next door. Knock on your neighbor's door and just say, how can I pray for you this year? Take them a loaf of bread or some cookies. Say, here's a gift for you. Ask how you can serve. Take care of your neighbors who are older than you. You have the opportunity to bear witness to the love of God the Father that He has given you. That you in turn, get to give to this world. And so this series, and and really all three of these series, ask this one incredibly important question. What does it mean? What does it mean to believe the good news? If you believe that John's announcement, that I have some great news And if you believe that good news is true, the choice is yours as to whether or not you're going to accept it. And whether you're going to follow Jesus and fully committing your life to God through baptism. And then walking out and saying, God, I'm going to be obedient to you regardless of where that road leads. I'm going to follow you wherever you take us. See, but it all comes down to this one question that's even more important than this one. Who is Jesus? And that is a question. That's a question you are forced to answer. And like I said, you're free to answer it however you want. You can say, I don't believe what Mark says. I want nothing to do with with the way of Jesus, I'm, I'm, I'm going to live for myself. You can do that. You are perfectly allowed to do that. But, but if you believe that this good news that Mark speaks of is true, then by faith we accept it and commit to following Jesus wherever that road leads us. So over the next several weeks in this series new, we're going to deal with this question. Who is Jesus? And you, no one else can answer it for you. You have to answer that for yourself. Father, today, God, I pray for those people who are just now hearing the story of Jesus. And Father, they are intrigued by this hope of good news. And Father, they're going to begin asking questions. I pray, Father, that you would fill them with your spirit and your life and help them to see you in new ways through your people and your church. I pray, Father, that we would bear witness in beautiful ways to the presence of Jesus in our life. 
Father, I pray that you would put people in their path that would help them on this journey. And Father, I pray that through that witness, your church would grow. And Father, that it would become this beautiful expression of your love in this world. Father, our world right now is hurting. We've been knocked down. And people everywhere are looking for hope. And just like Mark says, we've got some amazing news. Father, give us the courage to share it every day. And for those who are thinking about beginning this journey, Father, I pray you would give them the courage to follow. The courage to walk into the water, committing their life to Jesus, being forgiven, being resurrected, being filled with your Spirit to be your witnesses in this world. Father, may we all once again accept that invitation today. Father, we pray for healing in our land, relationally, physically, mentally, emotionally. Father, we need you now. Maybe the biggest blessing of 2020 is the reminder that we are not in control of anything, but you are. So, Father, in this new year, we once again commit our life to you. God, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.